Brian again, your lunatic friend. In 1976, Rick Thompson, myself, and Randy Thomas would find a new enthusiasm for writing songs because now we had a song on a record. Putting a song on tape showed us how important an arrangement was. It was the beginning of rewriting songs, changing the lyrics, agonizing over pronouns. It didn't matter how rock star you might be if you didn't have a good song. Gone were the days when you thought the first thing out of your mouth was divinely inspired. Not only did our focus on songs intensify, but so too was the goal of doing our own full project. You have to have a jump start on an audience before you start thinking about doing a record. And because we were playing at the bigger events at Calvary Chapel, our audience was growing. And now we were writing songs with an album project in mind. I wasn't sure what a producer did on a record, but I noticed that there was at least one on every record. But I did understand the need for an engineer because live on stage, it would often become a competition between musicians to see who could play the loudest. Early on, bass player Kevin Thompson would run a little six-channel mixer, mostly for the vocals, and we'd have our own amplifiers for our instruments. And those amplifiers kept getting bigger. Kevin's bass amp was the size of a refrigerator. Eventually, I was stacking keyboards on top of each other and running my own mixer through a 200-watt Yamaha cabinet with a 15-inch speaker and a horn, all to keep the bass player from drowning me out on stage. We were also playing a lot of outdoor events, and that required more power. Because outdoors, it was hard to thump people in the chest with your music, and we were blowing up PA equipment almost every month. Eventually, the PA cabinets would be bigger than Kevin's amp. One thing's for sure, Sweet Comfort Band was getting louder. But when it came to recording, we had no idea about multi-track recording, where you separate the instruments and play them individually, and then mix them together. We just assumed that you took the whole band in, set them all up, and played down the songs perfectly. Which almost never happens, but it did on our first record. We would, however, record the vocals separately, and I would pride myself about the fact that I could sing the whole thing down perfectly in one take. We had made friends with singer-songwriter Tommy Coombs from the band Love Song. They had finished their second album and were starting to want to do things separately. Man, we were excited to have a member of the band most notable in Jesus Music to be producing our record. As a producer, Tommy Coombs was affable and easygoing, and his insights were stuff I had never thought about. First thing I learned, he said, you need to be at the strongest part of the song in the first 30 seconds. And he used a term I'd never heard before. He called it the hook, and he would stand there with a stopwatch while we played. We would also focus on the way a song started for the most impact. We didn't realize it, but we were acting on faith. We believed we were going to do a record. Even though we didn't have the money or the interest from a record company, we prepared ourselves anyway, believing that it would happen. And when it did, we would be ready. We had 10 songs on this record, and we put them in the order that would tell the best story. But on vinyl records, you had two sides. I noticed later that some of the biggest songs were on side two. We wanted to lead off with the high energy stuff that we used live. The opening song was Soul Tune Boogie. It was me on a clavinet trying to be Stevie Wonder. But my favorite song of side one was called Let It Go. Steely Dan had a song out called Reeling In The Years where they had a whole jam session and a song that was on the radio. So we wanted to do a riff like that. In fact, there were a lot of groups where our songs would be us trying to be them. Another interesting story about songwriting here is that Greg Laurie needed a song for an altar call. So we wrote a song called When I Was Alone that went out with Jesus I Love You harmonies. It's the last song on side two in this record. I remember getting really bored with the song in rehearsal. So after an hour of playing it, and just before we took a break, I speeded all those chords up, just goofing off, and the band liked it. Next thing you know, we had a new song with the same chord progression, only it was three times as fast. And now, When I Was Alone would become a new song called Childish Things. Rick had the idea that we needed to grow up, and he quotes the scripture, When I was a child, I spoke just like a child. I have to laugh now because both of those songs were hits. The other two most popular songs on this record were songs that people 
loved live. One was a slow blues rock song that I had written that had this great harmony in it where we just screamed, Somebody loves you! The other song was a song that we would close our sets with for the next eight years. A five-minute final thought in a jam session. People get ready, the time is at hand. My Lord Jesus is coming again. To finish with three-part harmony stacks. Better get ready, ready, ready! But we would learn that getting ready was an ongoing process. Because we released our first song on Maranatha Music, that's who we would approach. We hadn't really heard of any other Jesus music labels. Maranatha Music was not that interested in the style of music we were doing, but they knew we had an audience. We didn't fit the genre of most of the artists on the label. For one thing, I screamed a lot, and musically we favored rock, jazz, and rhythm and blues. We weren't playing enough funky music to get kicked off the stage at Calvary Chapel, mind you. But I think they tolerated us because Kevin was known to give a little mini-sermon somewhere in the set. I learned that there were certain Christian buzzwords that were kind of like a code for acceptability. Phrases like, praise the Lord, we're just here to serve, and Father, we just come before you. There were other words too, but it was probably because it's hard to judge the depth of someone's spiritual commitment. So there's a tendency to lean on the superficial things that people say. Anyway, after meeting with the head of Maranatha Music, they would agree to manufacture and put the record out on their label, but we would have to come up with our own money to record. We raised $10,000, mostly from our friends, and $7,000 of it came from a woman that I was dating, Jody Davenport. She had recently got a settlement from a car accident she was in, and not only did she invest in the band, but later she married the lead singer. 26 years later, I still hadn't paid her back. But here's where I have to take my hat off to Kevin and Rick Thompson. They were always the ones who were looking for an inside track. Me, I was just the hood ornament on the Pontiac. Oh, I was all about the creativity, but I never wanted to talk business ever. And honestly, this band probably wouldn't have gone anywhere if it wasn't for the Thompson brothers and their determination to make things happen. For 10 grand, we recorded most of the album in a makeshift studio in an industrial complex. It took less than a week. Greg Laurie was the Bible study teacher at the church that we worked with and volunteered to make the album cover for us. His idea was to put our four faces on the cover, equal size. I don't know if it was intentional, but it looked like the Let It Be album by the Beatles. But the real highlight was getting Rick Griffin to do our logo. He did the artwork for the best cover I ever saw called Sail on Sailor by Mustard Seed Faith. I don't know where I was while they were doing the artwork, and I barely remember the photo shoot. All I remember was that it was pretty quick. But what wasn't quick was waiting for that album to be manufactured and released. It was a classic example of hurry up and wait. Now you'll have to wait for me to remember the rest of the story. Thanks for leaving your comments on Jesus and music in the 1970s and for contributing to this podcast.